Hey, welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. I'm Kimberly Trong, and I I don't have any music recs for you this week. I'm sorry. I've dropped my duties on that. To my virtual right, I've got Doug Amoth. I don't know if the phrasing dropping your duties on that was uh, the best use of <laughs> words, but um, we can go with it. Eternal Engine. I'll recommend indie band. Eternally. They have a song called Apple Two, which should appeal to techies out there for obvious reasons, but it's the subject matter is maybe not what you expect. I'm interested. Eternal Engine. Guys, you heard it first from uh, Paul Ducklin, who is on my virtual if left. If you like sleep, you will like Eternal Engine. If I like sleep, I love sleep. Uh, welcome, Paul Ducklin. I need something to watch. I, there's only so many. I'm a big Forensic Files fan, Me but too. I know what happens. I know. I mean, I've seen them all. <laughs> Me too. And Forensic Files too. I, I like that you're trying, but it's just not the same. It's so not the watching. same. No Peter Thomas. Play a bit of PlayStation, Doug. <laughs> oh, man. Salt in the wound, Duck. I, I saw an article in Twitter. I didn't have to even click on it, but the person that wrote it was like, I'm giving up on trying to order one of these. And I was kind of like, you know what? Me too. Eventually, they're going to be in stock. So I'm just going to give up. Yeah. Yeah. Give up. Because the moment you give up, one will one will appear for you in front of you. Well, that's funny because I gave up about a week ago and still nothing. You haven't really given up, Doug. <laughs> you that's the thing. True. That's so you gotta, true, exactly. actually. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. You, yes, that's true, Doug. You got to truly give up. I'll think about. I'll think about. And it. you've got to not realize that you've given up. That's the hard oh. part. It has to be like autonomic giving up. We're getting yeah. existential here, folks. Um, before mm-hmm. we get into the headlines, I'm just going to quickly tease the oh no of the week. As y'all know, if you stick around to the end of the episode, we give you a funny tale. And all I'm going to say is that this week, some devices are best for singing the blues, not for backups. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doug. We're going to talk about Apple, the golden goose of tech news page views, and its tie into the coronavirus pandemic, another hot topic. We're going to talk about a hidden message inside the White House's website, and we're going to talk about the dead man's password. What a mysterious, provocative show we have for you today. But first, fun fact, only about a quarter of the Sahara Desert is actually sandy. Most of it is covered in gravel plus some mountains and oases here and there. The plural of oasis is oases. And it also isn't the world's largest desert either. Antarctica is. Wow. Who knew? So speaking of PlayStation, let's talk about Apple. Great segue, Doug. Thank you very much. (laughs) This story is about the uh, fingerprint sensor. It starts way back when, the fingerprint sensor on the iPhone 5S, and everyone thought that was great because you could just put your thumb on the home button and it would unlock it. And then Apple eventually did away with that, much to some people's chagrin. And then I have a Samsung phone right now, which has the fingerprint reader built into the screen. Mm. Spoiler, it doesn't work very well. But it also has Face ID, which, spoiler, doesn't work very well, especially now because of the coronavirus pandemic. So I'll let you take it from here, Paul. Why? I think I've never bothered with the the fingerprint scanning on the Touch ID because I still have an iPhone that has... The, the button. I like the button because it pops up the lock screen. And I, I'm just happy to type in my lock code. Cunning trick. If you make a super long lock code, then you can include every digit at least once. And you don't leave any hints in the grease marks on the screen of which digits he did or didn't use because he have to use them all. But my understanding is that the, and yeah, as you say, that Touch ID was 
was pretty popular, particularly with people who went, oh, well, I ne- could never be bothered with a lot code. Uh, uh, Marissa Meyer, who was uh, fam- famously of Google and then Yahoo, was quoted at some tech conference going, oh, yeah, I love the, I love the touch sensor because I can't be bothered with a lot code, which seemed a poor attitude for the CEO of a, of a major US tech company to take, but probably reflected most people's experience that typing in that code while you're walking along or while you're sitting on the bus it's kind of a bit of a pain if you have to do it all the time so what people would do is either wouldn't set a lock code or they'd set an absurdly long lock time and of course touch id made it easy for people who otherwise would have been leaving their phones insecure to kind of do a bit more than nothing Uh, but then people started figuring hey there's this black strip at the bottom of my phone i want screen there and so, of course, that's why we shifted or Apple shifted to Face ID, where the camera's in that little notch at the top. And my understanding is there's there's a camera that you that you use for things like Zoom calls and selfies. And then there's a like an infrared camera slash detector and a little special illumination system and everything for Face ID. But it, it takes up less space on the front of the phone than Touch ID. So something that was revolutionary for a while quickly disappeared. And now, as you say, problem again. Turns out, you know, if you wear a, a headscarf or a hat or spectacles, that kind of thing, or have big sideburns, apparently Face ID is quite good with that. But the one thing it's struggling with, with accuracy, of course, are nose and mouth coronavirus face masks. That was the first thing I noticed when I had when I when we first started wearing masks here in the U.S. was trying to use my phone and realizing, oh, it it won't recognize me with the mask on. I even went so far as to think, should I redo my facial recognition to have the mask on? I didn't do it. I'm I'm now I'm just that person who just types in my Does passcode. Does that work? I, I, not having a face ID phone, I've never tried it. But I don't know. But I'd I think... imagine that a it would be a bad idea because <laughs> yeah. because people would look very very similar. Yeah, that's true. And exactly. B, I, I'm guessing that it that the system generally, if you're wearing the mask correctly, will kind of go. You know what? I just there isn't enough detail there for me to do my stuff. I never tried it. Someone should try it. I never tried I it. I wonder too. I don't know about Apple, but like on my phone, um, when I first set up the face ID, it, it was like, okay, take a picture of yourself. Do you wear glasses? And I said, yes. Now go get your glasses and take a picture of yourself with your glasses on. Do you get? Do you have the chance on the Apple to do two separate photos of yourself if you wear glasses? I wonder if you could use the glasses one and just wear a mask instead. I think mm. it does cover an awful lot of your face and, you know, the, right. the stuff that's easy to recognize and to build into recognizing your face rather than simply your eyes. And I guess the other the other issue is that whilst it's not a big deal just to pop your face mask off while you look at your phone, it's exactly what we're advised not to do, isn't it? The whole idea of wearing a face mask and leaving it alone is it discourages you from actually touching your face. Yeah. Um, because if you've got infection on your hands, it pro- you probably won't get infected through your hands, but you, you might very well do if you touch your eyes or your nose or your mouth or anything. So fiddling with the mask all the time is a very bad idea. So anyway, the rumor mill has suddenly decided that, hey, it looks like Apple is just going to bring back Touch ID. And since they're almost certainly not going to remove the selfie slash Zoom camera, like who would bring a mobile phone to market these days that did not have a front-facing camera? 
it looks as though that could if that's true it could be great right because then you can try lock code you can have you can use lock codes like me if you like those you can use touch id if you just like to touch your phone when it's sitting off to one side and you can use face id if you just want to be able to lean over and look at it and maybe you can mix and match those so uh that's the rumor anyway that touch id banished for taking up too much of the front of the phone may suddenly return and what's old is new again i bet they build it into the screen like samsung does yeah. or other and, and other phones right and then i bet they take credit for inventing it probably too soon <laughs> do you think they'll build it no i think that the, the rumor mill was saying no it'll be kind of like it was before so they'll hmm. they'll return with the button on the bottom well i like that button i love that button i love buttons i don't care what anybody says and you know it, it's you can't press it by mistake it's got that whole haptic thing going on so you know when you've clicked it and uh, yeah, I, I I think that's great. It is. Oh, we I, have well, gotten to a point with phones where it's like, hey, look, it's all screen. It's like I, I hate yeah, it. But I I hate even it. And when I hold it, like it, it's up touching the sides of the screen. I hate it so much. I do I do miss that little button at the bottom. I still have a, an iPad Mini that I got for Christmas last year, and it's built like the old iPhone. It's got the single button at the bottom. It's got the Touch ID on the button. I love it because I hold my phone generally with with my thumbs at the bottom. Yeah, same. Um, and so I don't want them on the screen. They'll just be in the way. Right. Or I hold it even with one thumb, and then I can I can hold the phone quite tightly. I've never dropped it. That's why I haven't got a new phone. I've I've protected it so well with the little what it, what everyone at work used to call my granny case. You know, the one that flips over and you have to open up. And so bought it in 2014. It looks like new. No cracks. No scratches. No damage at all. Um. So yeah, I'll I'll. I'll have Touch ID back anytime, but it is interesting that it, you know that 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 this is suddenly an issue, and of course it also the the issue of fingerprint recognition. What became a big deal back when Touch ID was a thing is that there is this a little bit of theory and a little bit of practice, and I think it depends which judge's decisions you look at. There's there's, there's some there's some argument in the U.S. as to whether things like lock codes versus fingerprints are protected by the Fifth Amendment, the right to avoid self-incrimination or not. Um, and there seem to be those judges who say, well, the Fifth Amendment, although it's sort of known as the right to silence, it's actually a right not to incriminate yourself by you can't be forced to give away knowledge that only you have if you choose not to testify. And speaking out a password or writing down a password is testimony, but your fingerprint is just... As the 2FA people will say, it's just something you have, and therefore it's not protected by this idea of revealing knowledge. So there's a, there's an interesting legal undercurrent right. in the difference between whether you have to touch the phone, whether you have to look at it, or whether you have to type in a code uh, that could, in theory, be written down. I, there's a show in the U.S. here called To Catch a Smuggler that I've recently got into. Okay, I guess I do have a show recommendation for you guys today. <laughs> Thank you. There you go, Doug. <laughs> to catch a smuggler. And uh, to my surprise, you know, the whole premise of the show is, you know, customs patrol, border patrol, uh, border protection, and people coming into the U.S. And, you know, they inspect their bags and what uh, what have you. The thing that I found, like, oh, interesting, can they do that legally? And I, I truly don't know the answer, but uh, they have the ability, I saw on the show, to get people to give them their passcodes to unlock their phone so that they can browse through their phone. 
I saw that happen multiple times on the show, and I found that really interesting. I think the problem with border areas is that kind of that they're sort of slightly legalistically weird zones in most countries, right. aren't they? And you also have the problem, you know, particularly for entering uh, a country like the US, uh, very similar in the UK, is you know they can say to you, "Okay, unlock your phone and let us look at it," and you go, "No." And they go, Bye. okay, fine, yeah, leave. then we won't let you in. We don't have a right to, mm-hmm. which, okay, you've wasted your airfare, you fly back. The problem is next time you go to the US and that form says, have you ever been denied entry to the US or any other country? Right. You have to tick yes. Mm-hmm. And that means that instead of having a 20-minute delay in the queue, you might have a two-hour delay in the queue or an infinite delay. Or you might, you know, if you if you enter under a visa waiver program like you can from the UK, you might not be able to use that anymore. So there are unfortunately all sorts of side effects to refusing to comply and being denied entry to the country. Of course, in the UK, I think there is something similar in the US, but in the UK, there's essentially a law that says, well, you don't have to give us your password um, or, or unlock the files when demanded, but if you don't, then we'll charge you with, you know, basically not doing so. Obstruction of justice and, or what have you. Well, no, it's fa- failing to, un- it, it, it's more specific than that, but it's the same sort of idea. Mm. And the justification is, it's very much like the law that was introduced in the UK to go along with uh, blood or breath tests for alcohol while dri- when driving, is that if you could just refuse to take the test, no one ever would and they could never get prosecuted. So if you refuse to take a breath test in the UK, if you're lawfully stopped by the cops and asked to breathe, then you will be charged not with drink driving. You'll be charged with failing to provide a specimen of breath. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The penalties are essentially the same as high range drink driving for passwords. The problem is it seems fair enough for drink driving to set the penalty the same as if you had actually been over the limit. But what do you do if someone refuses to give up their password and you think they might be guilty of some dreadful offence, you know, sexual assault, murder, something like that, where the penalty might be 20 years or 30 years or a life tariff, then does that mean that every time anybody refuses to give up their password that you go, okay, well, just in case, we better give you 20 years? Or do you go, okay, well, well, we'll set the limit at two years? And then everyone who knows they're going to get 20 years if they give up the password will go, you know what, I'll take two. Thanks. You won't crack it. I'm certainly no legal expert, but I think in the U.S. you do have to have a warrant in order to look into someone's phone. And I th- and obviously if they can justify that they think that uh, there would be evidence to be found on the phone for certain alleged crimes, that would be covered under like search and seizure, I believe. Again, don't look at me. I'm not an attorney. But yes, that's Article Four in the, your Bill of Rights, isn't it? <laughs> Don't look Unreasonable at me. Unreasonable search and seizure. Uh, get the tell Fourth you Amendment, for sure. basically. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, like, I, I'm pretty sure that they can just uh, forensically dive into that phone with a warrant. The problem is that you know, if they turn up at your house and they think, "Hey, you've robbed a bank, and we know you've got five hundred thousand dollars in cash." the banknotes missing from that bank we know they're in your safe we've got a warrant you have to open it and you go well i can't then they'll just go well move out of the way we'll open it for you Mm -hmm. Uh, the problem is of course with something that's strongly encrypted they're probably not going to get there and that's what brings that whole issue out about 
backdoors, encryption backdoors. Mm. Well, if somebody can refuse to give their password and there is no consequence for it, and people inevitably do, then in the old days, you just got the safe cracker with an angle grinder or some precision placed explosive charges. But that doesn't work with properly encrypted stuff by design. So, you know, the flip side of that is, well, then maybe we actually need to force everyone to use deliberately weak encryption just in case. And then we're all at risk for, you know, evidence that might help in a very small number of cases, which, in my opinion, benefits the crooks more than it benefits law enforcement. It's interesting, too, getting back to the article from a purely a pure security standpoint, there's arguments that the, the the touch ID was bypassed by creating fake thumbs and that kind of stuff. It, it can be bypassed. It would be interesting. Some guy in the UK used his cat. <laughs> he, he registered his cat's paw, and it worked. <laughs> oh, wow. But then only his cat could unlock his phone. <laughs> That's really, <laughs> yeah, really yeah. interesting. Yeah. It was very to, limiting. To wipe the cat's paw on it. <laughs> yeah. That's but hilarious. it would be interesting to have a setting, uh, an option, if you're very security conscious, to only unlock the phone with your fingerprint and your face. Mine right now, it, when I try to open my work email, it says, do you want to unlock this with your finger or your face? Not, But there's no option to do both. Mm. So that would be cool if they would, uh, that would kind of, uh, that would overcome those arguments that the, the fingers can be faked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you could just use finger and passcode, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I guess the whole issue is that the, idea, the, the, the big deal of having things like face identification touch fingerprint identification is that it does at least encourage people to use lock systems even though your fingerprints can be faked with a photograph and wood glue and all of that stuff uh maybe uh it does at least at least a lock with a fingerprint is better than no lock code at all sure or you know one two three four i'm still imagining myself getting stopped at uh a border and them unlocking my making me unlock my phone and saying this guy his phone is just full of memes so he must be depressed <laughs> let him so in let's let him through without <laughs> bothering him so speaking of memes that's our technology etymology term for the day the term meme is a shortening of mimeme itself from the ancient greek mimema or imitated thing itself derived from mimesai which of course means to imitate and of course comes from mimos or mime. Of course. <laughs> so, Kim, I know you're really big on social media, so when someone <laughs> asks you about memes, you can just say back exactly what I said. <laughs> all I heard was, like I heard like 14 different versions. I have to admit that as soon as I heard the word meme, given that we've been talking about someone who who trained his cat to un cat paw to unlock his phone? <laughs> I was thinking about cats, cat videos, of course, basically, of course, with, with motivational statements underneath. My understanding is that the 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 reason it's meme in English is it's it's meant to kind of line up with the idea of a gene, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That genes are what give you your physical characteristics, and maybe there's something that sort of by being embedded in your mind, you might actually pass it on to other people. Oh, all right. Heading into our second story. The headline this week is U.S. Administration adds, quote unquote, subliminal ad to White House website. The White House has a new 2021 
website and they've added a job ad presumably to get some publicity and to attract job applicants to the U.S. Digital Service, also known as the USDS. The USDS describes itself as a part of the public service that aims to use, quote, design and technology to deliver better services to the American people. And its goal is to attract at least some of those technophiles that might otherwise be lured to join the fast-paced dollar sign world of commercial cloud-based products and services. Uh, So in an interesting move, the whitehouse.gov website has a job embedded, a secret message, not really that secret. If you go looking into its HTML source code, you will find a message that reads, Click here for PlayStation 5. (laughs) Nope, unfortunately not, Doug. Uh, The message says, if you're reading this, we need your help building back better with a link to usds.gov slash apply. I think this is very fun. I I personally think uh, they even go on to have a little mascot in uh, ASCII. I think it's a very cute play, but then again, I'm not the person they're trying to attract. What do we think about this uh, quote-unquote subliminal message on whitehouse.gov? Oh, dear. I, <laughs> I got into trouble from one rather literalistic reader who complained that I had misused the word subliminal and therefore I was guilty of clickbait. (laughs) Therefore, the entire article could be kind of cancelled out of everybody's mind. They didn't quite go that far. You did put subliminal in quotes, though. I did put air quotes around Mm -hmm. it. And then I've been in trouble that when I mentioned that, somebody said, no, 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 you can't have air quotes in writing. You can only have it when you're you're doing the little little bunny ears with your fingers while you're speaking. (laughs) So the whole thing's a metaphor, dude. Like, get over it. But anyway, so technically it's not subliminal because by the time you see that it's there, you'll realize it's there. I understand subliminal means subliminal means not conscious of it right right? yeah yeah that you don't realize it yes um in this case you have to know you want to look and it's quite a cute way of embedding a message Uh, we've got some examples in the article on naked security of other websites that have done this for example a common place to put secret messages not secret i'm making air quotes not they don't work on a podcast but i'm telling you i'm making air quotes a secret marvel as in marvel comics if you go to their website and you look at their at the, the, the HTTP headers that come back, they'll tell you that, that all their servers seem to have superhero names. Oh. So when I went there, I got back X dash and server nickname, and mine was She Hulk. <laughs> and you know, I've, I've I've seen other ones reported. They're basically Marvel superheroes. And even if you go to nakedsecurity.sophos.com, we're hosted, or, or news.sophos.com, we're hosted on WordPress, and they have one which is a little bit. Hey, if you're seeing this header, uh, apply to us for a job again. So they've they've used it for a job ad. Uh, this one, it's just a comment in the HTML source code. So the comments get downloaded. They get into your browser but they never get displayed their comments they get stripped out while the html is being processed for display so if you're a developer or you go into the developer console or in firefox if you hit control u up comes the source code on whitehouse.gov and you know you'll you'll see the ad there so it's kind of it's kind of good clean fun okay it's not subliminal but it's i'm making air quotes (laughs) subliminal for me and i thought oh well that's 
quite cute. And as you say, if you go to the USDS website, they have an HTML comment, which is basically ask the art of a crab, Molly the crab, yeah. their unofficial mascot, uh, which is apparently named after an alumna of USDS from a few years ago. She's actually written up, you know, my, my USDS story. It's quite interesting on the USDS website. I don't know if I'd want to be remembered by the icon of a crab. <laughs> it seems a little, a little like... You know, it makes you feel a little bit penny pinching or a little bit, you know, a little bit like you've got too many legs and interfere. But anyway, I, I, I presume she was happy with it, Molly. Um, but that got me to thinking, you know what, this is it's fine when you hide. I'm using air quotes, a secret. I'm using air quotes. Oh, no, <laughs> half this podcast is uh, I'm using air quotes. XL97 famously had an embedded Secret, air quotes, flight simulator, Word 97. It was a pinball game. Uh, Tetris, the original Tetris game, it had an embedded, they're called Easter eggs in the jargon. They had an embedded spreadsheet. That was the boss key so that you could, while you're playing Tetris, if your boss appeared, you could hit this magic keystroke and what looked like a Lotus 123 spreadsheet would appear. Excel, of course, the other way around. Business app has a game inside it. And you kind of think, well, that... It's okay if your ultimate goal is that somebody should find the pseudo-hidden pseudo-secret. But the flip side of that is, annoyingly, we still see an awful lot of companies that produce software or websites or JavaScript that they use on websites where they try to hide, and I'm using massive air quotes here, a genuine important secret in the app or the website, in plain sight, and they assume that no one will find it. Even though history shows that pretty... If people can find the XL97 flight simulator, which involves the weirdest incantation you can imagine of moving the mouse and typing weird characters in a weird order, if people can uncover that, then if you have a hardwired password in your app, believe me, people are going to find it. If you have an encryption backdoor in your product that lets people get in secretly if they've forgotten their password, somebody's going to figure it out. And the problem is, just like with this USDS job ad, which became a huge story globally because it was such fun, something that they probably didn't expect to be found and talked about so much, it lasted a few hours before it was all over the news. How long do you think your encryption backdoor or your hardwired password is going to last and secondly how many people do you think knowledge about it is going to be limited to once it's known to the first person and i suspect you will find that the answer is lots of people and not very long they're probably getting flooded with uh, job requests right now too i think they must have because actually by the time i went to i went to there was a typo in the article or something. Oh, I'll just check the links. And this is very shortly after I'd written it, which was not long, uh, like the day after it had gone up pretty much. Uh, and they'd already changed the comment on the whitehouse.gov site. It's it, it still said, if you want to help us build back better, visit. And it still had the link, but it just took you to usds.gov. It didn't take you directly to the job page. So one imagines that I, I took that as proof positive that once the secret was out, absolutely everybody knew about it and was going there. And that was what made me think, you know what, this is in terms of people who use this same kind of Easter egg approach, but just hope nobody will find it. 
Don't be surprised when people take against you if you do it in your products. And don't be surprised when suddenly everybody knows the, air quotes again, secret. I hope they hired the first person that found it, though. The first person to report <laughs> The it. very first person. How would, how would they know? Well, that person might not be interested in the job. That's the problem. No, it, I it, know. You know, it's a good ad. and it's it, 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 So there's an element of good, clean fun there, as I like to put it. Uh, it's just that it doesn't work the other way around. I just can't imagine going back to a job where you, you, you got to own sensible pants, <laughs> and have easy access to your ironing board at all times. You know, like, where's my belt? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Walk into a building and, and, and interact with people. I don't know. It sounds exciting, Doug. I left my security badge at home. Oh, crap. I got to turn around. Got to get in my Hyundai. Yes. <laughs> Oh, God. But, I mean, we truly need more talented people working in government to help make these sites better. Um, If anyone's ever used any sort of governmental-type site, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I got a a ticket coming back from New Hampshire. We went (gasps) skiing uh, because uh, there was too much snow on my car. And what? the policeman claimed it was falling all over his car. And I was like, and I got out there and it was like... There was nothing. Um, he gave me a... Yeah, because it had all blown off. <laughs> what was it? it? It was a $62 ticket. He was like, this should be $370. What? But I'm giving you a $62 ticket. I was like, okay, thank you so much. Anywho, to go pay this ticket online, um, you know, normally when you go to pay a ticket online, it's like, what's your license plate number? And your, maybe your last name or whatever. Then it brings up the ticket, right? Mm-hmm. This government website, the state of New Hampshire... You start typing stuff in, and then there's like four or five pages, <gasps> and you have to fill out every box that's on the paper ticket. They can't just look it up. No. So I had to basically recreate my ticket on this website, and then put in the you know the penal code that I had obstructed, like all this oh, all this no. stuff, and just to pay the ticket. So we'll see if my the next time I get pulled over in New Hampshire, if I get thrown in jail for or incorrectly. Entering a number here or there. Maybe that's your so. punishment. Maybe you know that's what, what they I want bet to do. You next time you go to New Hampshire, you'll clear the snow off your car before you start driving. Well, that's true. Right. Because we had we had snow, which is rare in, in, in Oxfordshire, actually, uh, over the weekend. And, of course, I went out for, for, my, for my legally permitted exercise on my bicycle. It's quite fun riding in snow. And I tell you, if you're a cyclist, it is really annoying how badly people clear their cars before they set off driving. Mm-hmm. They clear a little bit of the windscreen so that they can, you know, see enough to, I don't know, detect whether there's a traffic light ahead. And they just drive off with the roof, the bonnet, everything just full of snow. Mm-hmm. And it just blows off and crashes all over everything, yep. including the windscreens of the car behind. So maybe that's... Maybe you could do that next time, Doug. He was a nice guy. He was like, listen, if you want to fight this, you can go on this website, you can call this number, or you can show up in person. You can fight this. And I was like, no, no, I, 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 I'm in the wrong here. My wife, while we were pulling out of the driveway to the ski house, said, should you clear the snow off a little better? And I said, no, it's fine. No, it's, I, was, I was in the wrong. <laughs> It'll blow off onto the state trooper's car. Yep. I was like, wow, there's a cop behind us. Oh, we're getting pulled out. <laughs> But the nice thing was, all all three of my kids were screaming, and it actually it shut them up finally. So, oh. that was <laughs> so I was kind of glad to be pulled. It cost sixty two dollars to shut my kids up, which was great. You win some, you so, lose some, right? Well, that's exchange. like just over twenty dollars each, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so I, like, I pay that daily actually. So were they terrified because they thought they were in trouble? 
Uh, my my eldest said, <laughs> my my wife said, everyone be quiet because daddy's getting pulled over. And my eldest said, is he going to go to jail? <laughs> oh, and I was no. like, man, hot meal and a full night's sleep. Mm. <laughs> no kids so crying. Nice. Oh, yep. boy, that's the life. So anyway, our last story today is a cautionary tale about what happens when one person has one account and that one account is used to access several services across the company. What happens if that person dies. Well, that's taken the wind out of ourselves a little bit, Doug. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the sad side to this story. Um, the interesting side is that, you know, there, there are sort of, it, it's a story that reminds us that in cybersecurity, you're often faced with that, what, what people call the law of unintended consequences. So this was a, a Sophos rapid response team had got called in because, uh, the victim suddenly, basically suddenly more than 100 computers on their network just smacked into a brick wall and stopped working because they'd been scrambled by a ransomware attack. And, you know, they figured, uh-oh, what are we going to do? And, of course, the first thing that Sophos Rapid Response will do when they're called in, it's sort of, it's too late, but the problem is there's usually a lot more to it, as we know, and as we've talked about on the podcast before, than just, hey, you had one ransomware executable got in and scrambled all the files, all the computers on the network. And indeed, they found that they were able to work backwards, and they worked out that the ransomware attack had happened on about day 31, and that uh, back on day 24 the crooks had actually completed their stealing of interesting files on the network uploading them to a to a file storage service encrypted file storage service in New Zealand uh called mega uh, many of our listeners would have heard of that if you've heard of kim.com he's the guy behind the service he's behind the service before mega he's not involved in mega anymore so that's sort of that's sort of somewhat infamous in its own right although as I say, Kim.com doesn't have anything to do with that anymore. And then they found that when they went back a bit further, that in the time before that, the crooks had actually been doing that. For two weeks, they kind of did nothing. And then they spent some couple of weeks like looking around and, and setting up their own accounts for later. So they never got booted out. They could just come back in quietly. That's why it's really important to rewind time. Even though you think, I've lost all my data, all the harm's done. If all you do is clean up the ransomware and restore all your files from backup, all those back doors that the crooks put in there are still going to be there then they figured well i wonder how the crooks got in at first and apparently they they exploited an unpatched vulnerability so don't leave don't leave code unpatched folks and then that let gave them an opportunity to log in and they used the account of an employee who had in fact died three months earlier sadly and as you say that account for better or for worse presumably because the person had been involved in in setting up all this stuff that account was used not just for them to log in but also to you know as the the authorization code if you like for various services on the network and i presume they'd figured you know what we didn't sack this person they didn't get laid off they didn't leave with a grudge they didn't go and work for a competitor sadly they passed away and so leaving the account there it's sort of i can imagine you're thinking it's sort of in theory, it feels like a nice memorial to the person, right? Their account, they're, 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 still, they're, they're still benefiting the company, even in death, you know. So the problem is, of course, they're not using the account anymore. So any of the telltale signs that someone else was didn't show up. 
And that kind of gave the crooks maybe a little bit more latitude than they might otherwise have had. I'm not saying that that would have prevented the attack, but it's very likely that if it, if they're using an account of somebody who's regularly around and regularly logging in, then when the crooks mess with things, um, then you've got a fighting chance of noticing. And so orphaned or abandoned accounts are really, 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 sadly, very, very useful to crooks. And are we thinking and, that the, the, the crooks know that this person had died and that's why they're using it? Or did they just kind of stumble upon this account and it just so happened that this person had been dead for three months? I, mm. I, I can't answer that. And, you know, it's very it's very difficult to guess exactly how they did that unless they left a note behind. Maybe it was a question of luck. Maybe it was a question that they realized that this account was still in use but not being actively logged into. But yet it would accept logins. You know, you might be able to if you if you log in once, you might be able to see when was the when was the last login from this account. Sure, and if yeah. it's three months ago, you kind of don't it doesn't matter what the reason was, you just figure, you know what? This account's in use by the system, so obviously they're not going to kill it off, but maybe they're not looking at it too closely. Oh, you got to wonder how many of those accounts are just floating around at right. smaller companies that are like, this person left, we don't know what to do, but he like all these APIs they're hooked in, like all these things right. that this account is exactly Ugh. like we because you try disabling it and see what happens and a whole lot of things break. So mm. you think, okay, I'll just I'll re-enable the account, mm -hmm. I'll get round to it, and you know, as we know, the world is short of round to it. Mm. Um, because if we had more of them, we get <laughs> all those things done, and you know, so it struck me in 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 writing this up for Naked Security that there's an interesting irony that most companies that I've worked with, when somebody leaves their employment for whatever reason, by the next day, that person will be off the payroll. Like right. finance, <laughs> yeah. just, you know, if only we were that good at the policies and procedures when people left the company or were no longer employed for whatever reason, whether they leave under a cloud or in good faith, or sadly, in this case, they, they, they die, you know, if only we had the same policies and procedures around cybersecurity as we did around payroll, how much better we would be. I have a weird observation. I watch a lot of paranormal reality shows. <laughs> I'm very pathetic, you guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was wondering when, when, when you were going to get to a kind of paranormal question. Listen, I would have hated to be the person to discover, to come across the fact that this dead person's account is creating new accounts is you know uh, changing these configurations and la, la 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 i think i would have been that person to be like oh my god it's the ghost of so and so and they've come back they're setting up new accounts <laughs> anyway i you call in the you call in the ghost hunters that's too. a really important <laughs> point actually right because you would imagine that if everyone in the company uh, you know, I imagine from the, the the size of the ransomware attack, it was sort of a a, a medium sized company, not not an enormous behemoth, but not a tiny company. I imagine you know everybody would have they would have been aware that this person had died and you know, wouldn't be at work anymore. And indeed, if you if you if you did see their account being used, indeed that you you would be hearing Twilight Zone theme music <laughs> in your head, wouldn't you? Uh, but the problem is that. The account was deliberately kept alive. Yeah, yeah. In other words, okay, yeah. we can't kill off the account. So, the, in other words, what what might otherwise have raised 
weird paranormal alarms (laughs) actually had been normalized. Right. Oh, no, no, it's okay. Charlie's still here. He's still with us. And and so that's the other problem that, you know, it it stops you seeing something that that should be freakily anomalous as weird because you said, no, we're going to allow this. So, you know, like I said, you know, if only we all had the same rigor with cybersecurity uh, retirements, as it were, as we did with payroll retirements. I really like computers. Big fan. Big fan of computers. But I think the last thing I would do as a ghost would be to come back and be like... Use a computer? See if my computer's still there. (laughs) Like, I'm all-knowing. What do I need a computer for? I I could fly? Like, use the computer? Yeah. Why? No. Although I know you'd come back for your PlayStation if you ever get it. <sighs> um, if you uh, want to read more about this story, you can check it out on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. It's titled Ghost Hack Criminals Use Deceased Employees' Account to Wreak Havoc. And by the way, if you in that account, there's a link to the report from the Sophos Rapid Response Team, mm-hmm. which is a another great read and that includes a series of recommendations and they're not product pitches uh, uh steps you can take to stop your own user accounts being abused uh, particularly of people who don't work at the company anymore for whatever reason uh we've also got a link to the sophos labs github page where you can get indicators of compromise for this particular attack if you want to learn more about what it looked like and we put in a podcast that the mini episode that we did with John Shire a few weeks ago, where we talk about, you know, the things we need to learn to deal with cyber criminals. Now it's 2020. Uh, you know, John's very, very informative discussion entitled 20 Years of Cyber Threats That Shaped InfoSec. You know, that's talking about this whole issue that attacks Typically, when you rewind, say, from the ransomware moment, when you rewind, you might find days, weeks or months of other stuff that you absolutely need to find and deal with. Otherwise, you have not solved the problem, even after you think you've closed it down. Check it out. Oh, no, are the words that I would say if I came across a ghost account on my network. But it's also the title... (laughs) Of our very last segment, oh no, of the week. Uh, this one's really funny. Uh, cranky Hanky Panky writes, Backstory. Client has data from old PC we wiped on an external hard drive. We gave her a box of items to set up at home. A computer. A monitor. Her old data. I get a call from my boss. Client is unable to access her old data off the external hard drive. She says she can't connect it or something. I call the client. She says that she has the hard drive but can't connect it as it's quote-unquote incompatible. Tells me the brand of hard drive. Honer. Hmm. Strange. I've never heard of this brand before. Quick Google search confirms my suspicions. Asked her to take a picture of it and text it to my phone to confirm. I get the picture and yep, it's a harmonica. Oh my god. (laughs) My client was trying to connect a harmonica to her computer to access her data. I asked her to look inside the box for anything else. She says there's one more item in there, a small black square item with a USB cable, and it says Seagate on it. Use that instead, I said. Ticket resolved. The end. So good. So good. (laughs) 
you know, there's somebody, there's somebody in charge of marketing person in charge of the Seagate brand now, <laughs> who's going. You, we haven't done our job properly. Right. Like Horner, like everyone knows they make mouth organs. <laughs> How can they think they make hard drive? But you know what? I've I'm just looking at my desk now while we're recording, and I've got a I've got a USB stick that looks like a little boat. I've got one that's some kind of super duper that that's that it's called Flash Voyager that kind of looks like something out of outer space. I've got one of those SSD removable pseudo hard disks that looks like a business card holder. Yeah. And somewhere I know in my desk drawer, I've actually got some old school regular external hard disk with the actual rotating drives in. And they're just in those, you know, those those cheap boxes you used to be able to buy that you plug your own hard disk in to save money. And they don't look like hard drives. No. So... I can understand. She'd look at. They probably said, "Oh, it's like a, it's a metallic thing, probably quite shiny and, and very high tech looking, with some probably has some vents for cooling in yeah. it." I can, I can, and you know, she's going. Well, I can't plug the wire in. Like, maybe she thought it was wireless. Yeah. I mean, everything is these days. I mean, a harmonica. It you know, it does look yeah. like a bunch of. Uh, I googled it. It looks like it could pass for a little external hardware. Right. We're in twenty twenty one. On the other hand, everything. it does. A harmonica does look. Very, very, very much like a harmonica. <laughs> and if you just do a little, mind you, I bet you this this is a coronavirus time story, right? So she's yes. probably they've probably shipped this from her desk at work. So, but I need to probably, know how the harmonica must have been in her desk drawer, right? Right? How did the harmonica the wind up? Guy. Yeah. Who brings a harmonica? So that's why she didn't recognize it. And even if she had, if it's not hers, she's hardly going to blow it to see if it still plays music. <laughs> Yeah. In coronavirus times, right? You just not. I hope not. They're trying to make flash drives lo- not look like flash drives a lot of the time. We had uh, slap bracelets that were USB sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so- or even better, we had ones in when I was in Oz. It was one edge of a Rubik's Cube. Mm, yeah. See? It's hard. It's hard these days to identify <laughs> was- a flash drive. I just Googled um, Bluetooth harmonicas. They don't exist. So if anyone wants that free business oh, idea. Take it. It's all yours. It's yours. Uh, well, uh, if you've enjoyed this Ono oh or you have an Ono, oh you can always send us your Ono. Oh you can DM us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Or you can leave an anonymous comment on nakedsecurity.sophos.com on any of our articles or you can email us directly, tips at sophos.com. And before we say goodbye, I just also want to encourage you yet again that you can leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcast. Remember how I said in the past that it only takes you 30 seconds? Well, someone left us a review in Apple Podcast and they confirmed what I said. Smart Speller wrote, five-star review, love the show actually can be done in less than 30 seconds. Thank you, Smart Speller, for leaving us a review and uh, confirming the fact that you can leave us a review in under 30 seconds. I actually think that that person probably meant if we cut out all this ridiculous banter, the show could be done in 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, it could. It really but could. Thank you, Smart Speller. He, uh, he or she is not lying. Yeah, thank you, Smart Speller, for leaving us this review. And until next time... Stay secure. I'm sorry, I've dropped my duties on that.